it won't be very long before AI is a fairly normal infrastructure, you know, chatbots and so forth, some of the other things they can do. And then your, your company is going to ask you as a human to do even more creative work on top of it, consultative work, selling. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're listening. Welcome back to AI and the Future of Work. Thanks again for making this one of the most downloaded podcasts about the future of work. If you enjoy what we do, please like, comment, and share in your favorite podcast app, and we'll keep sharing amazing conversations like the one we have for today. As always, I'm your host, Dan Turchin, CEO of PeopleRain, the AI platform for HR and IT employee service. I'm also an investor in and advisor to more than 30 AI-first companies and a firm believer in the power of technology to make humans better. Now, we learn from AI thought leaders weekly on this show. And of course, the added bonus is you get one AI fun fact each week. Today's fun fact. I just couldn't pass up this clickbaity title, Why GPT is Actually Getting Dumber Over Time, written by Eli Becht and published this week at Slash Gear. ChatGPT is suffering from what's being called AI drift, and it's actually causing the program to perform worse over time. A study revealed GPT-4, designed to be more reliable than GPT-3.5, performed better in March of this year than it did in July. On paper, the model should be doing better as time goes on, thanks to it constantly learning new things. However, it seems like just the opposite's taking place. What's most alarming is the fact that this degradation has happened over the course of just a few months. There are multiple explanations for AI drift, the link to the full article in the show notes, and you can read all about Eli's conclusions on your own. Now, shifting to this week's conversation, today's guest is one of the most respected thought leaders in the HR and HR tech space. Josh Burson's name is synonymous with HR thought leadership. He first started covering the space in 2001 before selling Burstman & Associates to Deloitte in 2012. His current namesake company, the Josh Burstman Company, hosts the popular annual conference Irresistible and is a prolific publisher of content related to the future of work, talent management, corporate learning, and leadership. Josh is also the author of the popular book Irresistible, The Seven Secrets of the World's Most Enduring Employee-Focused Organizations, which was published in 2022. Oh, and by the way, Josh also hosts a great podcast, which I enjoy weekly, uh, for his candid commentary on the world of HR tech. And without further ado, Josh, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Let's get started by having you share a bit more about uh, your background and how you got into this space. Thank you, Dan. I, I'm sorry it's taken us so long to meet. <clears throat> we probably should have met long before. I stumbled into HR through the back door of corporate training in around 2000, around 1998, when I went to work for an online learning company, not knowing anything about it. And through that company, and then the company that acquired us, and getting laid off and deciding I wanted to do research on online training, I eventually became familiar with all of the different domains of HR. And um, because I worked in technology for about 20 years before all that started, I also became an analyst studying the tech space, the HR tech space. And I have an opinion on why the GPT model is drifting. 
<laughs> we can talk about later. So that's kind of where I landed, how I got into this. And my perspective is, you know, my job, I think, or our job is to train, empower, support, assist all of the HR people in the world so that they can help their companies and their employees perform better. And that's been a really gratifying experience for me. And I still love every minute of it. Um, and there's obviously many, many more things to talk about in that area. And there always will be. We're driven by a common passion. We were getting to know each other before the uh, episode. And it was, uh, it, was, it was nice to hear that you share similar vision. What inspired you to write the book, Irresistible? And maybe more important, if you could share with our listeners, what single secret surprised you most? Yeah, I mean, the book has actually been in development for many years. I didn't I didn't sort of throw it together for the pandemic. So it has lots and lots of history of my research in different areas. Well, the reason I kind of wrote it was I was tired of reading articles and studies about employee engagement that didn't seem to be getting to the real issue that engagement, as it was defined by HR, wasn't really the important issue in companies. It was really performance and productivity and leadership and and team management. And so what I discovered as I was writing it and doing a lot of research on Glassdoor and correlating Glassdoor ratings to various company practices was that the real issues in making a great company are much more complex than um, having a best friend at work or you know, giving people kudos uh, or benefits that make them feel a little bit better that day. It's, it's really about designing the company, the leadership, the organization, the mission, the purpose, all the things that are in the book. So, and, and what I realized also was after having studied all these HR practices over the year, over the years, that the book could bring a lot of this complex research together in a digestible form for business people, not just HR people. So that's really how this book came to be. And it was very, I'm not a book writer, I'm a writer, but I don't write books very often. So it was a big project, it took a long time. What surprised you most when you were doing the research? I mean, the thing that surprised me the most and continues to surprise me coming through the pandemic was the fact that uh, what I call the unquenchable uh, power of the human spirit, which is that individuals, employees, workers, retail workers, manufacturing workers, managers, leaders, designers, engineers can do amazing things far beyond what you believe or what you expect if you give them the right environment at work. And that simple, simple idea is, is frankly lost on a lot of management principles. It's lost on a lot of HR practices. You know, this idea that there's, you know, rating and rankings and evaluations that you have to do to make your company successful. I don't think that's really true. And that was really the, the theory and the concept behind the word irresistible, that if you create an organization that is empowering and is clear and purposeful for people, Individuals will rise to the occasion. And the, the pandemic was a perfect example of that. I talked to literally hundreds of companies during the pandemic who thought they were going to go out of business. And sure enough, once they took care of their people, amazing things happened. And I think there was a big learning experience that happened during the pandemic that I'm afraid we're kind of losing already as companies get focused on the bottom line again. But that was really, um, that is the number one thing that I've learned from this whole experience of writing that book. Sue and I focused a lot on work tech or HR tech, and I liked that that was what you said was, you, you know, the, the biggest insight from writing the book, how the right environment can really bring out the best in people. What's one 
technology that you think has most accelerated or facilitated that ability to create safe work environments where people do their best work? Yeah, the HR tech space, as you know, you're in it, is very, very complex. And it's littered with hundreds of tools and applications and platforms that people use. And the thing that changed a lot over the last maybe five years was this idea of not providing more functionality and more features and more analytics, but actually focusing on the employee experience and actually figuring out what the employee experience problems are and then building systems or tools like the one you're working on, Dan, I believe you're probably working on something like this, um, that makes employees more productive and saves them time and gives them a more positive experience. That is actually only about four or five years old. All of the years before me and all of the HCM systems and HR systems and payroll systems, nobody thought about that. <laughs> they built things for HR managers, for payroll managers, for whatever. You know, there were lots and lots of good ideas, but this idea of are we actually making employees work easier and lives better was lost on most designers until the most recent time. And so that's the big change. And now, of course, AI is going to make that even better if we do a good job with it. And then that stuff under the covers is still there, but we don't need to see it so much. And we don't need to think about it so much because we've got a layer of software on top of it to make it easier. And you know, we have Zoom, Teams, Slack, Lots of lots of other things, ServiceNow, all these companies trying to build these layers to, to make, just like we've done in the customer part of our companies for much, much longer, for really more like 20 or 30 years, we're now trying to do it for employees. And it's a big, big positive investment. What do you think changed? Let's call it from, say, let's pick a decade ago as a point in time when HR tech wasn't really a thing. And to your point, there were HCMs, there was, you know, people, people soft and Workday and success factors, SAP and, you know, a few Oracle, et cetera. But this idea of HR tech didn't really exist. It was mostly just there to facilitate the management of people data from the perspective of the company. Um, what changed in the last decade that all of a sudden gave rise to this notion that a bunch of technologies can really support the human? You know, the big thing that changed is the employees started to get all the power. <laughs> you know, a lot of that old HR tech was designed around what we call the industrial age when the workers were replaceable parts and we didn't have to think about them. All we think, all we needed to think about was the managers and the core HR systems. Um, in the last decade, um, and this is getting worse and worse and worse, Skilled employees can move around very easily. People can work part-time. Uh, they can have multiple jobs. Uh, there's a shortage of labor in virtually every part of the economy. The birth rate is low. Um, the rate of change of skills is higher than ever. So employees are now, in, to some degree, in the driver's seat. You know, there's unions too. There's other. There's places where this isn't perfect yet, but employees are more and more in the driver's seat. So, so companies are realizing if we can't improve the employee experience, they're not going to stay. They're not going to come work here. If they do come work here, they're going to get frustrated because they can't get their work done. And all this HR stuff that might be good for HR, if it's, if it's not making employees' jobs easier, then we got to question why we're doing it at all. And 
when I started as an analyst, nobody thought that way. It was it was always what did GE do? Let's copy them. You know, what did Google do? Let's copy them. You know, now every company is on their own journey to figure out what they can do to make their employees the best they can be in the business and the unique part of the industry that they're in. And that's a really different way of thinking about technology. And, and I think it's driven by the fact that employees just have more power. <laughs> it does seem like a decade and more ago, people were never at the center of the service ecosystem. It was really always about you get a paycheck and you should be satisfied by your paycheck to do the work that you're told to do. But we didn't think about the employee experience as a thing that you'd invest in and where you can get disproportionate outputs from similar inputs if you inspire people. I, I love the way of thinking about that. Um, now, a lot of lookers on to the HR tech space might look at today and say, it's a renaissance period, but we've, we've peaked in terms of innovation. And then anyone who actually listens to your podcast or hangs around the HR tech space says, no, we're actually, we're just beginning. We are just beginning this journey. Um, you're talking to a bunch of entrepreneurs. Where do you think there are opportunities to innovate in and around the, the HR tech space? Oh my God, there's there's opportunities everywhere. So the comment you just made that I just want to key on, then I'll talk a little about it. Um, the big, the other thing that's changed over the last maybe five to ten years is almost every company is in the IP services or support business, where people's skills, people's capabilities, people's um, sense of belonging are the product. So there is no choice but to take care of your people now. You know, the HR tech market is old, and most of the systems that people buy today were not designed with employee experience interfaces, with AI, with even mobile has been relatively new. It's more or less standard now, but it wasn't for a long time. Um, you know, chat interfaces, interfaces on Teams, and these other tools that people use, meeting people in the flow of work is, is really what people want. They don't want to go to some HR system or some training system and then go back to work. They want to do it in the flow of work. So there's just dozens and dozens and dozens of ways to do that that have yet to be invented. Um, AI will, you know, empower, empower a lot of it, but it's also just creative solutions give you one simple example. So we have this online academy of education for HR people, and we've started piloting mobile courses that teach you small amounts of content through text interactions on your phone. Very short text interfaces back and forth, asking you a few questions, not taking a lot of your time to, to give you a chance during the day to learn about new topics. If I look at e-learning 20 years ago, this is like you know, two orders of magnitude easier than that, but nobody thought about it back then. We didn't even have mobile phones back then. So there's that, there's chatbots. I mean, the, the number of applications of chatbots we're going to see for education, for onboarding, for training, for knowledge management, for recruiting, it's just going to be massive. The kind of stuff you're working on, Dan, in your company to streamline all these backend processes. You know, I was at the, the Workday Analyst Conference in January and I, I'm, I'm, I like Workday. I really have a lot of respect for them, but I was kind of joking around with them. And they were talking about generative AI and how they're going to put all this machine learning into the back end. And I said, why don't you guys just build a chat bot that sits on for, front of Workday so people don't have to run around and try to find the right button to push. 
And they kind of laughed at me and they said, well, we don't need to do that. We already have the Workday Assistant. And, you know, unfortunately, they don't realize that Workday is still really, really hard to use. <laughs> so there's one right there. There's, you know, like, I don't know, 8,000 Workday customers you could sell a new solution to. Many, many examples like that. Microsoft Viva's attempt by Microsoft to do that. Um, ServiceNow is trying to figure out how to do this. I know your company is working on this. So, um, you know, I think there's huge amounts of need for innovation here. And, and also because of the intelligence we have in AI and analytics, these can be intelligent interfaces that recommend to employees what they need to do without asking the employee to browse through a bunch of buttons to find something you know, that they might need to, you know, take their leave or change their vacation or whatever it is. I think, I think there's massive amounts of innovation. And then this other big industry that I am big on, which I call talent intelligence, which is consolidating all this data we have about employees to give the company and managers better insights on, well, you know, maybe we don't need to hire this job. Maybe we have somebody internally that can take this job. Maybe there's somebody in the company that can work on this part-time and we don't need to even have a full-time employee here. Um, maybe this job isn't even a job. Maybe it's a chatbot. <laughs> Those are real, real situations going on right now inside of companies. And with the labor market getting tougher and tougher and tougher to hire, uh, we're going to have to, we're going to need these tools to allow our companies to grow, to generate more revenue per employee per hour. And that's why this stuff is so hot right now. From the inside, I feel like it's criminal how over the years it, we've really disrespected employees, expecting them just to use whatever crude, blunt objects we throw their way and never really thinking about, you know, what would what would tech look like if instead of putting the cog in the middle of the the, the, the workflow, instead we put the human and really thought entirely around what's the best user experience or I love, you know, the way you describe it, you know, to be able to work in the flow, you know, not, not always expect the user to go out of the flow, whether it's you know, something as simple as updating your benefits or requesting PTO. Well, like, the, the thing is, you know, Dan, it's not, yeah. it sounds simple, but it's not yeah. simple. <laughs> but There's like it, hundreds and hundreds of these little things that employees want to do. So that's why I think it takes time for the community to build these tools. So for all the entrepreneurs listening, rewind the tape a few minutes and and uh, you might have to compete with Josh and I for pursuing some of these opportunities, but that was a great set of things that uh, that need to happen and, and we're just getting started. Now, Josh, we can't have the conversation about HR tech without thinking about how the incursion of AI on traditional jobs is threatening employees. Although you and I know that it should be in service of creating uh, you know, a better work life, certainly employees are feeling threatened. What do you say? To the employee who says, I, I see where all this is going. You know, there's going to be a digital version of me. And, uh, you know, I am the frog in the pot of boiling water. Uh, yeah, I don't see it that way at all. I, I, you've heard probably me say this. These are tools that are going to make you more productive and they're going to allow you to do higher level things. Instead of poking around, trying to find a piece of data, enter something into a form, find a menu you know, tell somebody on the other end of the line to please go and hold while I find the right form for this, you're not going to have to do that. So now you're going to be able to do a better job of taking care of the customer, designing the product that you're trying to design, um, listening to the problem, diagnosing the problem, 
um, dealing with information from multiple sources that you would have had to spend three weeks consolidating on your own. The people that are going to fall behind are the people that are afraid of AI, who don't want to touch it, uh, that, that are sort of leaning away from it. I mean, right now it sounds intimidating because it's been given an intimidating name. And we've had all these, you know, articles in the New York Times about how dangerous it is. And on. I don't believe any of that. I, I think this is just a really advanced form of automation and data management and data integration that, you know, that is going to be natural to us. I mean, I, you know, you know, we're working on our own solution for, for AI, which I'll talk about if you guys want to hear about it. It's just miraculous what it does. And it saves people a huge amount of time. It's like when I was graduate, when I graduated, when I worked for IBM in 1981, and the first PC landed in the branch office, and we turned it on and opened up the spreadsheet, we were all looking at each other like, holy smokes, what's this? Well, you know, spreadsheets didn't put anybody out of business. They just created a whole bunch of new jobs for people to build spreadsheets. <laughs> so um, there'll be probably more, many, many more jobs created because of AI than there are will, jobs that will be eliminated. I've talked about on this show, we refer to them as co-pilots for a good reason. Yeah. They're not flying the plane. And anyone who naively thinks that they're ready to fly the plane has not spent much time using actual AI. There's a reason why we refer to it as artificially intelligent. It's not sentient. It doesn't think rationally. But as you know, to your point, it can accelerate a lot of traditional tasks. The, the other kind of scab to pick in this part of the conversation is maybe kind of devolves into the realm of psychology or even philosophy. But what does it mean to me as a human if I've spent a career, decades maybe, learning a skill that kind of defined who I am, you know, my nine to five, my whatever, you know, tasks I've perfected. And all of a sudden, you know, almost overnight in terms of, you know, the longer arc of history, almost overnight, um, a machine can do those things that made me human better than I can. How do I, how do I process or synthesize? Given what you're saying, you yeah. and I are both AI. Well, I, you know, I, I thought about that myself. You know, the kind of research I write, you can kind of type it into ChatGPT and get some of the answers that took us a long time to figure out. For people that are creators, you know, that are writers, artists, um, you know, building images and videos and so forth, these tools are not going to win Academy Awards. They're not going to be best-selling books. They're, they're really very rudimentary compared to what we can do as humans. So I think we need to look at them as assistance to help us do our creative work even better than we did before. In my case, you know, I do a lot of data analysis and I look at a lot of, you know, kind of cross-disciplinary, you know, information. You know, if I can use BARD or ChatGPT to find that and consolidate it, then I can come to better conclusions and I can save people even more time and myself a lot of time. So it is it is going to be a little bit of a challenge but but I think we're going to get used to it and the way the way human value add works in business is as soon as something gets automated it gets automated across all the companies so everybody's just commoditized that and now we need to add value on top of that so it won't be very long before AI is a fairly normal infrastructure you know chatbots and so forth some of the other things they can do and then your, your company is going to ask you as a human to do even more creative work on top of it, consultative work, selling, uh, communicating with customers, 
change. You know, it's funny. I'll tell you something really funny, Dan. So we just did a massive study on um, the, what we call the pace setters, the highest performing companies in different industries. We looked at healthcare, consumer banking, consumer products, and we're doing pharmaceuticals. And the skills that are the most important in the pace setter companies are not the technical skills like AI. They're skills like change management, communications, training, um, alignment, workshops, things that bring people together. I call this organizational ingenuity. So even though some of the mundane technical work might get more and more automated, these difficult, complex human things are, are adding more value than ever. So um, I don't really think people should worry too much about their creative work being taken away. Now, I know there's a you know writer strike down in LA and they're all worried about the, the rights. And I think there are some significant issues about where your content ends up and whether you get paid for it. And that, that is going to have to get resolved. And I think these AI companies are just going to have to pay up, to be honest. <laughs> I agree. And we will all bear the cost, which yeah. is a good thing. I think it's important to protect copyright. Uh, I just want to make sure I understand the, the reference to the study. So the pace setter companies were the ones that scored higher on those kind of more innately human skills. No, no. So what we did is we, we've been looking at various skills in these different industries and then, you know, which skills are trending up, which skills are trending down. And then we said, let's look at the slice of the 10% highest performing companies financially. You know, do they have more tech skills? Do they have more whatever? Well, they do have good tech skills. I mean, there's no question about that. But the skills that are even more differentiating from that are these organizational skills that are kind of almost HRE related. So, um, you know, what, what it tells you is that no matter how great your technology is as a company, and I'm thinking about, you know, as a company, not you as an individual, if you can't interoperate and bring people together and work as a team, the technology alone doesn't make the company a better company. So that goes for you as an individual, your, your human skills, your relationship skills, your listening skills, your creative skills, your ability to think about information and use it and, and solve problems, time management, complex problems. Those, those things keep coming up as the most communications. These are always the highest rated skills in all these studies that are done year after year after year on what employers want. So... So I just don't want people to worry so much that the AI is going to do away with your job. Just look at it as a tool, like a hammer, a very intelligent hammer. I have this hypothesis that um, the weak creators will overly rely on AI and it's going to homogenize a lot of content. But those who are strong, who excel at those uh, creative skills, or not even, we, we group those skills as creative, but I think it's more just, you know, those who excel at the work they do and take pride in the work they do, I think are less likely to fall back on the lazy option, which is to have generative AI. Generate. Right. I mean, if you look at, if you look, you saw what happened to Buzzfeed, they, 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 that didn't work out so well for them. I, I think one of the things about AI that gets back to the very beginning of the podcast, when you're talking about the, the dumbing down of ChatGPT is, is deep versus wide. If you are a deep expert in something, you're going to be even deeper with AI, and your value is going to be even greater. And I think even the AI technology itself, I think we're going to have more, you tell me, Dan, you're, you're a technologist. I think we're going to have deeper AI systems, not wider. 
Um, and I think probably what's been happening to ChatGPT is it's amassing so much homogenous information from so many strange sources that it's probably not getting, it's like a college student that's taking too many courses and can't focus on their major. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're not it's not specialized enough we've seen this in every wave of innovation going back to the 18th century in the first industrial revolution those who embrace new technology outperform those who choose not to so yep. whether it's you know the luddites in the 18th century or you know those who feel like ai is here to dehumanize them i feel like you know part of being an ai enthusiast is saying now is the time for humans to embrace the technology and figure out a way that it can augment them because you know as you've reiterated and articulated well it's certainly not here to take your job that's nowhere even close and unless you're only reading science fiction you know there are lots of opportunities where ai is there to help you out i assume you'd agree with that totally completely agree but you so can Josh, have to get comfortable with it that's all yeah yeah spot on uh unbelievably we're we're bad out of time but uh you're not getting off the hot seat without okay. answering one important last question for me. Uh, so we're back here, let's say it's 2028, and we're having a version of this conversation. What's one thing that is commonplace then at work that today just would seem like science fiction? Well, you know, the thing that I think is is been slowly creeping up on us that is much, much more transformational than we realize is the fact that most of us are gig workers even in our own companies. It used to be when I graduated from college, you're, you kind of latched onto a job or a job family or a career, and you kind of stuck with that and you kind of attached it to one company. And that was your life until you retired. But if you think about the way people move between companies, the way they do gig work inside of the companies, you know, during the pandemic, 45% of Americans no, 30, about a third of Americans changed jobs and 45% of them changed industries. So um, I think what keeps moving is the war, the barriers between organizations and within organizations are getting thinner and thinner and thinner. So we're going to have careers and jobs and work experiences where we're doing a whole bunch of things for different parts of our company and maybe for different companies um, as workers. And these tools like the one you're building and others are going to make it easier and easier and easier for us to do this. I don't mean we're going to all be like Uber workers. You know, maybe we will. But but I think, you know, if you pushed the needle out five to 10 years, that seems to be where this is going. And I think organizations may be smaller. I mean, they may have fewer people full time and more people on contract. And so that that's one of many trends that I think, you know, is been coming along year after year. We explored that in an interesting conversation uh, with a gentleman named Gary Bowles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I know Gary. Yeah, great guy. <laughs> uh, and he talks about this idea of a work net as opposed to a workforce, where careers are kind of stitched together based on skills or tasks or projects that you love, as opposed to one job, you know, one name on a business card, one employer. Um, it's more about, you know, a bunch of the things that make you your best self stitched together to form one career or well you know another thing again. another thing by the way that's accelerating that is we're living longer so people that are older like i'm in my mid to late 60s i mean they're living they're working till their 70s or their 80s and they don't want to work full-time chained to a desk 
Maybe they want to work a couple hours a week here, a couple hours a week there. So there's just a larger and larger population of people that are willing to work this way, that want to work this way. So, so I, I think Gary's Gary's whole theme is right on. That's that's exactly where things are going. Josh, don't retire. We need you to hang around. And uh, I can't retire. I don't have any us. hobbies. I like this work too much. All right. Well, you <laughs> you and I both. This is their passion. Hey, this has been a lot of fun. I uh, I'm already envisioning uh, having you back and sure. uh, picking up where we left off. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, of course. Before we wrap, audience, listeners, go get the book, Irresistible. And Josh, where else can the audience learn more about uh, you and your your great work? Um, two places, joshburson.com, where we have most of our corporate research listed and other things in our membership program, and then bursonacademy.com, which is uh, one of the best deals on the planet to get access to all m- much of the content we develop, courses, all sorts of fascinating information and a giant community of HR people talking to each other and helping each other in all these areas. There you have it from the master. Go out and read the book, check out the resources. And uh, gosh, that's all the time we have for this week on AI and the future of work. As always, I'm your host, Dan Turchin from People Rain, And of course, we are back next week with another fascinating guest.